Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2018. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 10, the British Grand Prix. The British Grand Prix was a proper motor race between Ferrari and Mercedes, neither of which seemed to have an edge over the other. Sebastian Vettel won the race, but in second place was Lewis Hamilton, who couldn't help but accuse Ferrari of interesting tactics in their fight for victory. To look back at an exciting British Grand Prix, I'm joined by Zach Priest from Superlicense Podcast. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. It's such a pleasure always to meet you at this seemingly, what, three years in a row we've sat down at this pub whilst you've been visiting. In my heart, I feel like you're visiting me and not coming around for the European portion of the season or the season, as us in Europe call it, because that's really the only part of the season that's worth talking about. Uh, But it's great to see you, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. It's a good race for it as well, I'm pleased to say. For so many rounds now, I feel like we're going, oh, sorry we got you on for this one. But goodness, Great Britain deliver this time around. Maybe not the way the fans there wanted it to, but for the first time in a good few rounds, we actually got a a motor race. (laughs) Are you, do you, you don't feel like you're wasting this good race on me, you know, no, 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 just no, no, a guy who runs a, a <laughs> podcast about kind of the, not the ins and outs of the sport, but kind of the, the cream, the top level of the sport. <laughs> now you're going to delve into strategy with, with well, me. Well, this is your opportunity. This is the This is it. I'm this going to punch it. above my weight, much like maybe Sweden <laughs> in the World Cup. Up to a point. <laughs> uh, well, let's go back to actually the start of this weekend and the thing that will have noted anyone who came to Britain for this race wasn't already here maybe people who were already here was that it was summertime it oh. was warm it's been it has been warm for a while so warm high 20s for the entire Grand Prix weekend uh, which I can't even remember the last time that happened for the British no. Grand Prix uh, and the fact was I mean yes Pirelli brought its hardest tyres and it turned out they really needed to because Formula 1's never really run at Silverstone with such high track temperatures we were talking they were pushing above 50 degrees which is like Malaysia levels of heat and that really ultimately ended up playing a big part of strategy in the race with tyre wear it's unusual yeah it is unusual I mean this is coming off the back of you know, a couple of other hot races where everybody was saying that well Red Bull's going to get blistering Ferrari's going to get blistering maybe Mercedes has got a slightly better tyre strategy and maybe aren't quite as hard on their tyres which mm-hmm. you don't often hear about Lewis Hamilton being good on his tyres but then again mm-hmm. you also know that he can manage a race in that kind of way which uh, you know, I, I always he's talked about him making kind of this complete racer and he knows when to push but he can also manage a race so there was this talk of maybe Mercedes having a good advantage this weekend mm-hmm. but I we didn't see any tyres exploding which yeah. there was lots of chat about what we mm-hmm. see delaminations and tyres just flying off and running mm-hmm. into the crowd whatever it is but uh, yeah. no none of that yeah and it's interesting because this comes off the back of Austria last weekend where they did obviously have that hot Sunday and we mm-hmm. had the blistering issues but the difference with this weekend the reason why that didn't eventuate was because in Austria it was cold up until Sunday so no one was ready mm-hmm. for the warm weather here though not only were they ready but they had those hard tyres which is probably good because you know, had these tyres been a regular British Grand Prix, all we would have been doing is complaining about how hard they were, as usual for Pirelli. Would have been boring. Everyone would have been on the soft tyre. Would have been a one-stop race. It was a half. It was a half-stop race. Yeah, they just came in, exactly. had a quick breather, and yeah. then went back out. Exactly, just to relax a little bit. But it actually all sort of worked out really well in that sense. And one other thing important worth noting before this race was that. In Austria, and even in France before it, Mercedes has been upgrading their car. They brought that new engine in France. It was sort of spec 2 plus because they delayed it a week and they found some performance 
under the fridge or something. I don't know how they were like, oh, actually, you know, this one week's made a huge difference in the power output. But then the following race as well in Austria, they brought a chassis upgrade, so they had new aerodynamic parts. And it seemed like, despite the fact they obviously didn't finish in Austria for a variety of problem, uh, variety of reasons, uh, and they, problems, and they, because they had problems, a variety of problems, uh, they seemed like they were the faster car. They seemed like they'd taken a step forward there. Ferrari brought its own upgrades here, and as qualifying showed, it could not really have been closer between these two teams. No, and this is the best circumstance as a fan of the sport, where it really, do, it really did just feel on Saturday afternoon that it was down to driver skill, mm-hmm. that we were going to get a race where whoever could be braver, more courageous and more technically skilled mm-hmm. they were the person that was going to win this race because it was going to be a very stock standard, probably one stop, right? Yeah. Something like that you know, start on the fast tyre and maybe take me into the end or a two stop and go, you know, quick quick and, and finish on a medium, whatever it was it didn't seem like the mm-hmm. stops were going to be the, the big power play yeah, for the weekend. Exactly. And we saw, it was a great qualifying battle. I mean, Sebastian Vettel got provisional pole and then Lewis Hamilton, extremely emotional afterwards because he beat him by 0.044 seconds, which happened to be his driver number. Like, oh it, was a, it was a British weekend, right? Like, everyone loved it. It was the story. The only, it could have only been better if it was 007. Like, that was literally <laughs> the only thing that could have made it better. Yeah. But, I mean... I, it did seem like a weekend that was really challenging the drivers. You know, mm. it, it, it really pushed them to their limits. I don't know why everybody, why they aren't kind of ready for somewhat of a warm race at mm. some point still. Um, but yeah, no, it, it it seemed like it pushed them to their hardest. I mean, there's talk that this is is this perhaps Lewis Hamilton's best best qualifying lap mm. is what they say after every race where he gets pole. <laughs> was it the best lap ever of this layout of this track? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. It was fine. It was good. <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, you know, you point out the sort of the challenge, the driver school required for that lap, and Silverstone at the moment because we've got these new high downforce cars. You know, we used to regard it. Well, back in the days when Red Bull were really competitive, as a bit of a Red Bull track because it was really aero dependent. I thought it was interesting. Speaking of the Red Bull drivers in particular, they struggled quite a lot here because mm. they're saying now there's so much downforce on the cars. It's there's a lot of it that's just flat out. Now, of course, there's yeah. something, right? Yeah, a really high proportion of the lap is full throttle. Yes, you're going through corners and the cars are working hard. You've got to be really precise. So it's a difficult lap, but it's really all about being flat out. And they said because there's so much G-force being generated now, this has actually become, and also in the weather, we mentioned the weather again, but it's become actually quite a difficult race, more difficult than it used to be. With yeah, I mean, the, especially through the you know that second half of the lap mm-hmm. where I think I think through qualifying Lewis has only set a purple sector for the last sector yeah, I, think. I think so I yeah. don't think he was quickest to the only first one and second he got, yeah. so it, he warms up into the lap mm-hmm. and is again very brave and gets the right line because the corners just start to flow into one mm-hmm. another and you set that up so much earlier in the lap to have a great finish and it's such a short run to the line mm-hmm. that it's one of those tracks and one of those qualifying periods where if you just make if you go for it a little hard at the mm-hmm. end you lose that quarter of a second half a second well not half a second but you know a quarter of a second or you know mm-hmm. tenths of a second just so quickly I mean it was stellar and it re- I mean it seemed like mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton was just set up for the dream weekend. Exactly. Right? It was coming home. Yeah, which is all everyone could talk about. Of course, uh, England beat Sweden that <laughs> immediately afterwards, immediately after qualifying. And there was this sense almost of destiny about this weekend because it was also uh, Lewis Hamilton, had he won, he would have become the most successful driver at Silverstone, most successful British driver at Silverstone. And I think most successful at Silverstone in general. Uh, it just felt like there was this momentum building and he had the right car underneath him. They were very closely contested and you know, Mercedes typically executes these races well and then off the line 
straight away, it seems like it's all over. It, it seems inexplicable. Mm. I haven't seen such a poor start from Lewis yeah. Hamilton in it feels like years. Like, not... I, I mean, it, it wasn't just that Vettel got a good start. It mm. was that Bottas was past him as well. Like, yeah. this, the, in the same car, and, and nowhere near as skilled of a driver, I mean, Bottas is very good, <laughs> but the, not the same level of experience mm. and kind of raw skill that Lewis Hamilton mm. has. I'm coming off as a massive Lewis Hamilton fan. <laughs> Send this one to Being my detractors. Long, <laughs> yeah, oh my God, Lewis Hamilton is so good. But it, it looked like, and I don't say this very often, it looked like he was standing still. I mean, mm. that shot from the front, I wasn't at the race, but the mm. shot from the front or, is always too low for me because you have no <laughs> idea. They're coming, driving at mm. you, and you, I have no idea where anybody is. Yeah. But even then, I could tell that he was just mm. he was just caught so quickly. And so, I mean, it was just lucky that even Raikkonen didn't make it behind, make it past mm. him because he got trapped kind of behind him and no really nowhere to go. Yeah. Until mm-hmm. well, until the there wasn't really anywhere to go. Yeah, exactly. We got to turn three, so Vettel passed him. Obviously, Valtteri Bottas passed him. Max Verstappen passed him. It was a very poor start. And then Kimi <laughs> Raikkonen tried to pass him. Uh, mm. Had a crash, turn three, Hamilton spun off, dropped to pretty much last on the grid. I think he was second or third from last by the time they crossed the line afterwards. Because the Williams started from... Yeah, from pit lane. Yeah. We, they almost crashed into Sergio Perez, who had some kind of nightmare of a start at turn one. Doesn't warrant a mention beyond that for this podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, I, this is a digression, but you know, Lewis Hamilton used the word tactics. So tactics counter strategy, so we're going to talk about it in the strategy report. Ah. Uh, accused Ferrari after the race of doing it deliberately. Implied, I should say, rather than accused. Accused and implied. Uh, and of course he harked back to uh, when Vettel hit Bottas at the French Grand Prix in similar circumstances. Vettel got a five-second penalty, Raikkonen got a ten-second penalty. Um, it seems like it should be and it's fairly straightforward to dismiss this as a sort of, I guess, an emotional response after losing his home race after it felt like he sh- was due to win it. Well, Toto Wolff, it was Toto Wolff who, said, who also said similar things. He said something like James Allison, the technical director, told him in a comment or a conversation, either it's, uh, I think the word was incompetence or deliberate, or deliberate mm. or incompetence. To me, that sounded more like it's incompetent. Like, the way he was saying it was, of course it's not deliberate, it's incompetent. Yeah. Maybe that was how Hamilton got to that conclusion. He was like, oh, no, it's not incompetence. It must be deliberate. Yeah, I mean, the, the, even Nicky Lauda has been saying that, mm-hmm. like, well, these, this is just so poor. From Why are they racing mm-hmm. like this? Is essentially his, mm-hmm. his, the, the kind of thing he's trying to say and that this is just not gentlemanly or clean racing mm-hmm. or very professional. I, when anybody has a lock-up and drives into somebody, you know, at mm-hmm. first blush... I thought that I thought that even Martin Brundle on the telecast yeah. in the sky was like, oh, Kimmy, Kimmy should basically be red, you know, black flagged. Like, yeah. It wasn't quite that bad, but yeah, he, yeah. he seemed like he went on for about 45 seconds about how obviously it was Kimmy mm. Raikkonen's fault. When it looks like Hamilton kind of turns in quite sharply, under different circumstances, if Kimmy hadn't had mm-hmm. locked up his front, uh, his front left, I think mm-hmm. it was, it might have gone as a racing incident, like if mm-hmm. they just touched, but the fact that he tipped Hamilton all the way off the track and Hamilton went to the end mm-hmm. maybe swayed the idea that it would be at least, you know, that it's at least five mm-hmm. seconds and turns out to be 10 seconds penalty. Yeah. Do you feel like they're upping the, those kinds of penalties to try and more and more mm-hmm. to discourage it? Well, maybe. It's interesting because Formula 1 keeps flipping between this idea that obviously you've got to penalise driving that is dangerous or in particular ruins another driver's race that's always frowned upon. But on the other hand, they're meant to encourage racing, right? Like they wanted to lay off the penalty a bit because especially on a first lap incident where Raikkonen was faster than Hamilton at that point because Hamilton had such a poor start was still building momentum you know he, of course he was going to have a go so a 10 seconds I guess is about right but then you compare that to the 5 seconds Vettel got and then you I think it's fair to ask the question well 
you know, it's a similar accident, not exactly the same. Is it five? Is it essentially twice as worse? I don't know. It's difficult to say. I don't think it was necessarily wrong. I think he deserved a penalty because he knocked Hamilton out of the race. If Hamilton continued, then maybe he would have even got away without a penalty, and I think that would be fair enough. If Hamilton but... had not been able to continue at all mm-hmm. and had had to stop, like went mm-hmm. into the gravel, couldn't get the car started again. Would it have been a stop-and-go penalty? Interesting question, actually. I'm not sure, because I don't know that a simple lock-up into Turn 3, for a move that... It's not as if he was going for something that wasn't on. It wasn't as if he was going for a gap that was always going to close. Like, it was fair enough that he should have had a go for it in the first place. And then he locked up. It was the first lap, you know. I would be surprised if that was worth more, but I guess if he'd, if he'd hit him hard enough that he'd put him out of the race, then there might have been more to it, and he would have deserved a greater penalty. So... Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that you know, maybe the stewards, the fact they gave him a harsher penalty, played into that idea that maybe he thought that they were doing it deliberately. But Whatever penalties they're giving, it's not working because we're seeing <laughs> more and more of this closing the door mm-hmm. and leaving, a drive, leaving the other driver a, mm-hmm. a, a car's width. It just seems like uh, because of that, mm-hmm. all racing now has disappeared, except mm-hmm. when you see it kind of mid-race where drivers give each other enough room because they feel mm-hmm. like there's enough race to get back at someone. Mm-hmm. Or maybe where there's not as much... I'm going to put... You can't see this, listener, but I'm saying <laughs> beef between talking marks. Mm-hmm. Beef. But this idea that even amongst teammates, we're seeing this mm-hmm. like, oh, I thought you left me room, so I went yeah. down the inside and you've just turned directly into me. Yeah. It always looks like the person on the outside is just turning in. Mm. And it's, I mean, the confidence to do that and think, well, I'm leaving them a car with. So, mm. you know, my strategy being that they'll they'll make the turn because mm-hmm. I've left them a card with seems pretty dangerous. And it just seems like nobody going on the inside is backing off ever. Yeah. And in Kimi Raikkonen's case, he couldn't back off anymore. He'd slammed his foot on the brakes. Yeah, like, yeah. There's nowhere else to go. It's interesting, isn't it? I've been part of it in this situation, I think it's desperation, or even in the Haas situation, also had sort of something close to a crash on the first lap. It's sort of like, it's that first lap desperation, right? And that's why we see so many accidents, which is also, to be fair, why the stewards tend to be more lenient yeah. on the first lap. Because when you've got 20 cars all racing towards the first corner, something's probably... Going to end up We've all played right? the video game. You know what's going on. <laughs> We've all raced backwards on the video game. We know how this stuff works. So it was interesting. I mean, that part played a part in the race. Ultimately, and this is something we'll talk about because Hamilton dropped to the back of the field, he took only 11 laps to get back to sixth. So even for Reich and a 10 second time penalty, okay, it took him out of contention, let's say, I can't even say for the podium because he finished on the podium, but let's say it, took him, it should have taken him out of contention for the podium before the safety cars and certainly took him out of contention for the win. But again, Lewis Hamilton climbing through the field, and we've seen this in other races before, Vettel in France, for example, and Bottas for that matter. The top six cars are so much faster than everybody else. I mean, I remember you know, at the time I was like, oh, look at all these passes that are happening. But you couldn't get excited about them because... It was, it was like watching Le Mans or a sports car race where they were racing in different categories because you knew there was no way he wasn't going to pass any of these drivers. Not on those straights. I mean, they mm-hmm. just have... The, the packages are so much better with the DRS zones as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't even necessarily the power. It's how late that even mm-hmm. Kimi Raikkonen with front wing damage could break and turn into, turn, turn into corners where you were just like... How are you getting that yeah. much grip? Like, how, where, are you, where are you getting this drive from? Mm-hmm. That these other cars that are built to what should be a similar spec have nothing like that at all. Yeah. And it's not like your, your tyre should, in fact, be in a worse position mm-hmm. because you've hit someone and you've smoked one of them. Yeah. How are you having this kind of race already? And this is Kimi Raikkonen. He's as old as my dad. Like, <laughs> he's, the, the, I mean, he's incredibly skilled still. But this, I mean, if you could race like this all the time, we'd love to watch him every yeah, weekend. Yeah. But it... It really does show to me, I think, after this race, that 
the rest of the teams mm-hmm. do not see themselves finishing in that top six on a competitive yeah. weekend, and their strategy is not to race any of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Haas, the the murmurings of Haas challenging Red Bull this weekend, and mm-hmm. even Christian Horner being asked, like, are you worried about Haas? And he's kind of like, well, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but no. <laughs> but no. I mean, this yeah. is a bad track for Red Bull, and it's a bad mm. track for us. But I don't really think yeah, they're yeah. challenging. You're like, even with the f- basically a Ferrari car, yeah, yeah, you don't think they're that good. Mm. And so, w- what is it about this spec or this mm. part of the formula that is giving them such a big advantage? I can't, I can't see it other mm. than just investment right now. Yeah, and that's the incredible thing. I mean, it became a talking point in Monaco, wasn't it? Where um, was it Lewis Hamilton who'd stopped and was essentially waved past by Esteban Ocon yeah. uh, into the chicane out of the tunnel? And people were like, well, he should have raced. And, you know, okay, you can kind of understand that because it was, he wasn't being lapped. Of course, he was racing for position. But like you say, these teams are just not in the same race. They're substantially slower than the front runners. It wastes only their time to fight against what is really the inevitable. Like, that car's fast enough, it's going to get past eventually. If not now, then just a little bit later on. And it, it's sort of... I mean, we got a spectacle this race because we had the top six cars racing one another, and we had we always have some good scraps in the midfield, but there was never even a chance, like you said, Haas, which looked really strong, even Sauber, which looked strong this weekend, of getting anywhere near the podium. It was just never going to happen. It's out of the question. No, and as long as we keep getting these dry like even like really hot races where mm-hmm. they're probably going to affect the cooling mm-hmm. and the strategies of the other teams far more than they're going to affect the top mm-hmm. six those six aren't really going to be challenged I mean, the idea that we would lose four of them enough mm-hmm. that somebody's going to make it on the podium I mean yeah you'll see it at some street circuits but I don't think we're going to see it at, at races like Spa yeah. and you know, at the German Grand Prix as well in, you know, in Budapest I don't think we're going to see that level of mm-hmm. carnage yeah uh, maybe on the first lap, but not, not just general attrition through yeah. the race. I mean, this, is, this was maybe the only other concern strategy-wise that Mercedes might have had, which is that they did have concerns about their new package mm-hmm. for, as you said at the start, different reasons. So, no, I, I, you're right. I think that the rest of the teams will just say, you know what? Just mm. let that guy pass. He's, he's going to lap you in 30 laps, so yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So that, they caught up within 11 laps. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen eventually made his stop uh, on lap 13, he caught up fairly easily. He didn't lose as many positions, obviously. So they were back on the tail. But up at the front with Vettel and Bottas at the time, it was sort of like this great cat-and-mouse game. Because the cars were so evenly matched, I think Vettel was edging ahead a little bit on the soft tyres. But It's kind of, what, four? He, got, he yeah. had four seconds within four laps, I think, and then it just mm. stabilised. Exactly. But then when they switched to the mediums, and Vettel switched on lap 20, Bottas switched uh, on lap 21. And that would prove important as well, those lap times, when we get to the safety car. On the mediums, it seemed to close up a little bit more. And suddenly sort of felt like maybe Bottas was going to challenge here. It was close enough, but you still felt, even though switching from the soft to the medium quite late in the race, about halfway distance, you felt like we were going to get one of those races where they managed the tyres to the end. There was enough challenge in there that made it interesting, and it was Daniel Ricciardo and Red Bull Racing that pulled the trigger on the two-stop race, and although we never got to see how it was going to pan out, they stopped on lap 30 for new soft tyres for Daniel Ricciardo because they saw Kimi Raikkonen behind them. They felt like his tyres were going off, and so they wanted to stop early and prevent him from undercutting or, or any such thing like that. But unfortunately for him, only two laps later, there was a crash. Marcus Ericsson, big enough crash that he had a safety car when he could have stopped for free. Yeah, rough crash too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm still so impressed and amazed and, ha- and happy to see drivers just take their hands off the steering wheel and go, oh, just breathe out and go, into the wall we go, just close your eyes and it's all going to be fine. And then you just hop out. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But Daniel Ricciardo must have just been like, oh, I thought I was going to be the aggressor in this race and now 
everybody's going to take take this cheap pit stop. Mm. But much to my surprise, and I'm sure most of the surprise to most people watching the race, even mm-hmm. the commentators, obviously as well, and maybe even you, <laughs> uh, Mercedes didn't come in. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ferraris pulled the trigger, Verstappen pulled the trigger, most people pulled the trigger, but Mercedes made the call mm-hmm. to stay out. And at the time, I just I, I, I was watching it at home on my own, and I said out loud. We're going to hear about this from Hamilton, <laughs> aren't we? And he, it didn't take him long. No. My goodness, he was on. Yeah. He's like, guys, at this restart, I'm just yeah. going to get caught, you know, mm. cut and dry. Like, this is, I might as well be back at yeah. the back, mate, because I'm yeah. done here. Yeah, and it's in the shadow not only of a pit stop error in Austria at the early race safety car, which ultimately cost him the win before he retired, obviously. Uh, and similarly in China, where there was the safety car that allowed Daniel Ricciardo to win by being able to pit. Um, obviously, at that race, it was Vettel and Bottas in the lead. They'd already passed the pit lane, but Hamilton hadn't. Mercedes should have pit him. He probably could have won that race, which would have completely changed the complexion of the early championship fight. Uh, this seemed like the same thing had happened again, but it was fair enough the way to describe it afterwards was that with the car so evenly matched, as we've said, may as well do something different. I mean, Hamilton had stopped relatively late because he'd been running so long. He stopped on lap 25, so it's about half distance, close to half distance. Yeah. And the idea was that, well, Ferrari's going to pit. We're going to be behind them, probably not going to get past them because we're pretty closely matched. May um, as well have a go at something else. Yeah, and they don't follow that well. You yeah, know, another key point about the Mercedes. You know, and exactly. they, did, they didn't have another set of new, new softs. softs. Yeah, so correct. They, they were, there were too many checks in the cons column, probably, for mm-hmm. Toto Wolff and the rest <laughs> of the strategy team. Um, does Toto call on strategy? Maybe he doesn't, actually. I think it's more James Vowles. I think he yeah. gets to... I mean, he apologises. He has to Austria, make public so. apologies. Yes, exactly. He's publicly apologising for Brexit as well. <laughs> no, um, no it, 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 it's tough, and I, I would hate to be on the, like, if the strategy calls on the knife edge and have mm. to call Hamilton to be like, so, yep. you might not like it. Yep. But I'm taking you home from the party early because you've got a big day tomorrow. Like it was, it was, it was, it was tough to swallow. I, at that point, it felt like the wrong call for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I they I feel like they could have pushed enough, and that there was enough overtaking opportunities mm-hmm. in Silverstone, and there was there was enough racing grit within both their drivers mm-hmm. to maybe make that change. Because the 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 opposite of that is if you play the conservative strategy like mm-hmm. they did. I don't think they had a chance of really winning the mm. race. They, it was only, it was it's defensive tactics instead of offensive tactics, and if that's what Mercedes feels like to me, they're always mm. conservative. They're like, "Well, we're the best, so mm. we'll just defend what we have," and they aren't the best anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like with the strategy calls, you do feel like they've not yet adjusted from having all the time they had to play with when it was just Rosberg and Hamilton like a second a lap faster than everybody else didn't really matter what they did because they had the pace to overcome everybody else anyway in this situation yeah I mean you can sort of see a similar thing like it seems like the default always seems to be not to stop uh, in this situation it was to maintain track position and I think in this situation you, okay you can't describe it as an aggressive move or a progressive move or any such thing because it was not stopping but I think in this situation the idea was to leave Bottas out in the lead right they gave him the lead they gave him track position and I think it was it was bold because, you know, it didn't come off in the end and it was always marginal, like you say. But the idea was that you're going to defend that track because you're like, we're going to put you in the lead and then see if you can hold it because otherwise you might not be able to attain that lead. So I think it was fair enough for them to have a go. And for Bottas, I guess it ended up being the wrong decision, right? Because his tyres ran out with about five laps to go when he yeah. got passed by Vettel. I passed him. It was so slow. <laughs> 
It was incredible. Some great defending from him, though, it has to be said. I was thinking at the time, if he wins this race, this is going to be like a really this well This is the one, run. as we've said about every yeah. single time he's done okay. Oh, which is such a... Like, you feel like him and even Ricardo in this situation. Ricardo's won races this year, but they, you know, they, they feel like they've been hard done by this season so far in some respects. Bottas again this year, like... Had it been five laps longer, and the second safety car helped him, right? Like when Grosjean and Sainz crashed into each other, that was like a little bit extra. I think it was an extra three laps of safety car that meant those tyres could be preserved. What would those tyres have done if Mm. he didn't have that second safety car? A good point, yeah. Would it have been ten laps? Like, Mm. would they have to have pitted him again? Because he could have just kept falling back. Which is fair, because he would have been done by uh, Ricardo. Ricardo, exactly. You know, they can't... And I mean, it's still all just risk. Mm-hmm. Like you know, having to be you know swap positions with Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. That's the thing that's worth talking about. That's kind of the half and mm-hmm. half. Like Hamilton was faster than him, but it's definitely for the championship points. Yeah. So I mean, the idea of coming from last to second is mm-hmm. pretty insane yeah. for Hamilton, and it, it really does minimise that gap. Mm-hmm. But I mean, leaving. What was their strategy if there wasn't the second safety car? That mm-hmm. his tyres were just going to go so far off the cliff that he was just going to mm-hmm. hold that position. There was no way. Yeah. No way he was going to be able to hold onto the onto the podium. So it's probably fair to say in retrospect then, if we come to the conclusion on this matter, and I think, we, I think we're close to, is that Bottas should have been pitted probably because that second safety car was certainly obviously no guarantee. No one could have predicted that. Whereas Hamilton... And, well, I mean, we don't know how long Hamilton's size would last. They're only, I think, three or four laps younger. So theoretically, maybe only three or four more laps or very close to the margin there. His was just enough to pull off second place, which I think, considering that he had such a poor start, if we go back to that... Second was the most he deserved in that sense because there's no reason he should have been able to get that position back from Vettel. Whereas for Bottas, he probably should have got more and should have made that second stop. And this just all comes back to Mercedes one and two drivers, mm. right? Bottas is the guinea pig. In Bottas some respects, is, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I'm uh, more and more. I think mm-hmm. you know as this competition has gotten closer and closer between mm-hmm. Ferrari and Mercedes. Almost said McLaren. They wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, in days gone by, mm-hmm. um, that it's gotten so much closer that they need mm-hmm. every inch, every millimeter they can get. And Bottas is the whipping boy for that. That he he yeah. is the guy that they will experiment and they'll be like, yeah, you're first. You get first pick call, but you should definitely come in. <laughs> That's what we're encouraging you to do. Yeah. I mean, it just happens to strike a balance between what we want Hamilton to do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was, it was a no-brainer to swap them later. So, uh, I don't know. I, I just can't see how they expected Bottas to not only stretch those tyres, but mm. also defend. So, I, we've delivered an interesting conclusion those last 10 laps. We look a little bit further down the field. Uh, the real interesting strategy of note that wasn't what ultimately ended up being a two-stop, or in some cases that long one-stop, uh, was Renault. And this was, a, I suppose, a big race for Renault because they didn't score at all in Austria when Haas finally did that weekend. They've been promising to do since Melbourne and scored with both cars. It's Melbourne years yeah. ago as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a, you know, ten races ago. Uh, this time, Renault wanted to score back because that's probably the only team Renault's actually threatened by is Haas. Uh, and they decided they wanted a definite one-stop in this race because the midfield is messy. So they started Hulkenberg, who was outside of the top 10, on the medium tyre and switched him to the hard. And they also switched Sainz to the hard as well, starting from the medium tyre. Sainz retired. I didn't recognise that tyre. So I was like, intermediate. Mm. Oh, yeah, blue. Because they changed it to blue. It's a light blue. Mm. Do you it's know the reason blue. for it? Uh, it's meant to be... What was it? Oh, God. It's the coolest tyre, right? Yeah. It's ice I can't blue. Believe, I can't believe I've listened to enough Pirelli bullshit. I've been <laughs> bull something over the weekend to hear that. Like, yeah. why? Yeah. Of all the colours? Yeah. Also, they already had a colour for that. Like, like you, we talk about whether the tyres are too confusing. You may as well keep the same colours so at least people know. They should choose black. 
That's splendid. Fanta black. It's yeah. like there's no markings on it. It's the hardest mm. tire possible. Or did an inverse where the tire is actually white and the writing is just black? <sighs> could they do that? Probably not. Yeah. Maybe they could. But they they would. They would become a bit Dalmatian by the end of the race. <laughs> with all the, all the bits. With all the them. stuff coming off. That'd probably. be fine though. That'd be interesting. Give it a go, Pirelli. Uh, it worked for Hulkenberg, though. I mean, the hard tyre was about a second softer, but it easily lasted the distance. In those hot conditions, it also had reasonable performance. And he kept it by Esteban Ocon, who sort of did a similar strategy, but did it with the medium tyre at the end. So it shows, again, Force India's fairly good at maintaining those tyres. And that was a pretty good race for both of those drivers. I mean, Esteban Ocon's the, he's the talent, right? If mm. only he was in a slightly better car. Well. Maybe a Renault. Who knows next year? No, it's hard to know. Uh, Ocon... You know so much more about the ongoings of the sport than me. Whenever you're like, who knows? Yeah. I'm always like, I'm taking that back to my own podcast and saying it's the <laughs> truth from an unknown source. <laughs> Just as long as they don't, no one listens to both of them at the same time. <laughs> we're in proximity. Uh, Science was running an interesting, or a similar strategy, I should say. Uh, he was trying to, he pitted slightly earlier than Ocon. He was trying to undercut him or keep ahead of him, and uh, he had the misfortune of being caught behind Fernando Alonso, who was sort of running his own race in some respects, as usual, making up the deficit for the McLaren car. He'd pitted quite early, lap 13. Uh, but it showed uh, the different, the same strategy, essentially, between Sainz and Ocon, but the difference between getting stuck in traffic, because Ocon went up and finished in seventh behind Hulkenberg. Yes, Sainz retired, but he crashed into Grosjean because he was in the wrong position, because he was stuck behind Alonso, and it sort of goes wrong. And there was that really, far- I think it was a second margin in that pit stop window that Sainz just got wrong he had a bit of a poor outlap and inlap I think compared to Ocon and that makes the difference and it is those fine margins of the midfield that is making it oh it's so close in the midfield I mean anybody is looking at seventh mm-hmm. and going god pretty much could, could this be us yeah. yeah could we be the winners the best yeah. of the rest if Charles Leclerc is not there <laughs> <laughs> it was you know it's and it does make it fascinating I don't think the coverage has quite caught mm-hmm. on to this yet I don't yeah. think we hear enough because there's so much going on at the front which is brilliant mm-hmm. but we don't see enough from the rest of the teams uh, as far as or from the coverage on the rest of the teams we don't hear enough of what's mm-hmm. going on so unless you're a, a Formula 1 fan who's paying for F1 Live and getting yes. all of their you know, the timing you know, boards territory where you can buy it oh god and you know <laughs> making sure you're watching all the you know all the strategy mm-hmm. and tactics which you get from this kind of show you know it's it can be difficult mm-hmm. to, to really get a sense of what's happening back there because you go oh you know someone from Haas has crashed into somebody from Salva I mm-hmm. is that was that important? Where yeah. were they? It's a good point because the battle is so ferocious. I mean, we talk about how close Ferrari and Mercedes were this race. It's almost that close every race in the midfield. I mean, for example, like you say, Sauber was competitive this weekend somehow. You know, yeah. They've just turned up and they, the margins are so fine that you get it right on your given weekend and you're qualifying in the top 10 pretty much on merit and also because you're Charles Leclerc. But this is how close it is. And yeah, it does matter to them because there's prize money at stake. You know, millions of dollars for fourth and, and down to tenth, obviously. So these battles do matter. And it, it comes down to, you know, if this, at the end of the day, Renault miss out by a couple of points to Haas, if Haas can stop crashing, uh, you know, you look at races like this where seconds worth of margin do make the difference. Oh, hugely. I wonder if Alfa Romeo look, <laughs> are looking at their contract again and going, how much did we promise you for points <laughs> finishes every race? That much? <laughs> right. Better make some calls. Yeah, yeah. well, it'd be a good question actually. Get Charles Leclerc yeah. into that Ferrari, so we don't have to pay you as much. Yeah, Sarah. could Charles Leclerc accidentally bankrupt Salva? <laughs> interesting question. Or Alfa Romeo? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's an interesting question. We got a race in the end from the British Grand Prix. A really enjoyable race. Strategy played a small part in it, but I think it's fair to say that finally we actually just got a straight-out battle between drivers at the peak of their game at a classic, so European circuit. 
uh, right in the middle of the season. The drivers and constructors championships remain really close. I think after this race, and it seesaws back and forth between a whole bunch of races, but feels like Formula One's in an all right place this week. What we what we need right now is just a nice, really broken weekend where it's dry, wet, dry again, rains yeah. halfway through the season, just to. Yeah, put the cat amongst the pigeons and mm-hmm. maybe mess up that podium for the, for those top six teams. But at this point, I mean, on a giving weekend, all things being equal, which they seem relatively, mm-hmm. we're getting great racing. Yeah, and it's been a pleasure to look on this race back with you, Zach. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. That was Zach Priest from Super License Podcast. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and you can get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. And I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the German Grand Prix.